Yes, guys, what is good? You are tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio's South Asian show, and it is a beautiful day. I hope you're enjoying the sun in whatever way you can. Um, we're enjoying it by being in the studio with no windows, but, you know, it's still in our minds. Um, I'm joined here today by Simran. Hey, how's it going? And so far, the mic is fine after last week's um, technical mishaps. Good check fingers crossed it doesn't happen this week and we've also got our brand new decks which i'm literally just in awe of like i'm not even a dj and i'm literally like wow. yeah they're incredible so many buttons like <laughs> literally and we should be joined by halima shortly as well so yeah until then simran how are you doing how's your past week been uh it's been good there's not much to tell you just been um traveling to see family so went down back to london just to see them for a bit don't worry covid negative got tested there and back um mm. uh yeah so that was nice just to get a change of scenery because i just find like being at uni as well there's nothing to do in the day except like your assignments or a zoom lecture or something mm. like it's just so monotonous at this point where it's just like now we've got the countdown april 12th potentially well, june 20 potentially yeah. june 21st you know like now we can start looking forward to those dates and like the countdown is on you know well this is like what we're going to be talking a bit about later with regards to um, lockdown and whether like first of all whether we should be getting starting getting hyped because obviously we've got those dates but a lot could happen between now yeah, and june like it's, it's like one. yeah so we'll be talking about that later um before then we're also going to cover other recent news including um the recent Supreme Court ruling with regards to Shimima Begum and that ruled basically that she is not going to be able to return to the UK to fight her citizenship case. Um, and to finish off today's episode, we're also going to have an interview with R.G. Manuel Pile, who is a poet and creative from London. Um, so one of our team members, Sakshi, caught up with him um, earlier this month. So we're going to be hearing about that as well. So, I suppose we should just get into this um, Shimima Begum business. So, in in short, you probably recognise the name. I don't I don't know anyone who probably doesn't recognise Shimima Begum's name. She first came into the national spotlight um, around, I think it was three years ago, maybe. Um, maybe it was longer than that. I'm not sure, actually, but basically it was yeah you're right oh sorry yeah, sorry you're looking at me there um yeah she came into the national spotlight um three three years ago i'm not yeah, sure I think so. yeah and it's basically because her and two other girls um traveled um to i think it was syria yeah um to um basically um join isis and obviously not um condoning doing that but you have to recognize that she was 15 years old at the time um and these people that are in charge of ISIS do obviously use quite manipulative grooming tactics in order to get these um, followers from a young age and convince them to come out there. Nevertheless, she went over there. Um, I think the two girls that she went with have actually died now. I think they've both um, passed away, which obviously don't condone them joining ISIS, but at the same time, it's sad to anyone's died um what shamima actually is still alive um and i think it was it's mad because it's like two years ago now which proves how long covid's been going on for and um, he was like two years ago she wanted to um she's basically reached out and said that she wants to come back um, and she were i can't remember if she said she regrets her decision or not but she basically said i want to come back and 
I think in response to that, her citizenship was actually taken away from her, which in itself, it's, it, it's a scary thing. Like, regardless of, even if you are for, sorry, even if you are against Shamima Begum, you have to think, like, the idea that someone's citizenship can just be taken away from them, I think is, it's a mad thing. Like, it, it, it's... Like I don't, I don't understand it too much because it's like, well, where where are you meant to go? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not even saying yes, you can come back here and we'll incarcerate you, which I'm not saying we support anyway. But to say that you're literally like you don't belong here anymore when you've grown up here, you've um your family's here, you don't know any different, you've never been anywhere else, and to say yeah, your British citizenship is revoked, I think that's a mad thing. Um. You have any thoughts on that, Simran? I suppose it's a bit of a complicated one, though, because obviously they have they have revoked citizenship. They've done it, right? Yeah, they they did that a while ago. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, however, what she did was essentially a form of treason. Mm. No. Yeah. No. No. I. It, what she did was wrong. We know that. But before we even get into as to what she actually did and um, whether there's any not justification, but whether we can like think about forgiving her in that mm-hmm. sense um just the idea even if you commit treason like should your citizenship be revoked you know you know what i mean like your citizenship is like <clears throat> your identity almost like it's 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 like so for example shamima she's she's bought she was born here she's raised yeah. here she doesn't know any different and she said you you don't you don't belong here anymore go somewhere else i think on the one hand it is obviously what you're saying that it is a bit of like a violation of her rights i suppose in a sense because obviously taking your citizenship away is a big deal since she was born and raised here however she made that decision to leave the country and go to syria and join isis and under that decision kind of comes the consequence of things like that on Mm -hmm. one hand i think when you kind of then look at the radicalization processes and the brainwashing and the kind of the steps building up to her making that decision then we could probably look at it a bit different, especially considering she was so young as well and now she wants to come back. She's obviously gone back Mm. on her decision. But like you said, I'm not sure if she actually said she regrets her decision. And I think Mm. that was a big premise on the grounds of why people were saying that she shouldn't be allowed back in. But this is the thing as well. Um, We think, okay, so she was young when she left, but now she's old and she's not necessarily regretting her decision. Mm. So that should act as an argument for us to not take her back. But when you think about it, if someone's left the country at 15 and they've been like in this radical group, like for the past six years or however long it is, um, like your, your maturity, your maturing and your maturity it, it is going to, it's going to be stunted. Like you don't, for sure. like, like for example, like six years is a long, that's basically like an entirety of high school pretty mm-hmm. much. And whilst obviously it's not great like i'm not sure as to what she's said now like or whether she takes back a decision but i know there was one point where she says oh i don't think i did anything yeah, wrong yeah um again if you don't know any better like come on what, like what are you gonna say kind of yeah, thing like and this this is the problem as well it's that the whole um the whole tackling of radicalization and grooming in regards to joining extremist groups it just it 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 furthers the problem in my opinion. Like so, if you think about it, you've got um. Let, for example, obviously we're talking about Shunyuma Begum. So for this instance, we'll talk about um, um Islamic extremists. Um, Islamophobia is rife throughout the UK. Like 
you can't deny that like there are a lot of people who just for no good reason will um be racist towards people of the islamic faith they will um shun them from society you could argue that there's a bit of a lack of desire to integrate into society but that's a whole other ball field but at the same time there's a lot of unjustified hate towards people of the islamic um faith in the uk so these um people obviously feel like they want to retreat which further they further retreat into their um, communities um and there's this lack of desire like i said to integrate with the rest of society then you have um say one corrupt um teacher or one one corrupt individual who's mm-hmm. linked to um, these extremist groups who manages to act as sort of like um a parent figure or someone it's someone that actually wants to associate with them it's someone who like follows the same religion as them who like thinks the same as them and isn't like shunning them away so obviously you're going to go towards that and when you're young as well you don't necessarily know any better then you have the government and their um radical their anti-radicalization anti-extremist measures which are to be honest like very untactful like they, there's no sense of nuance there's no sense of trying to actually understand what's going on it's more of a sense of just putting feelers out and trying to um basically trying to find people who are involved in extremist um extremist ideologies rather yeah. than actually thinking okay so how do we um resolve this issue and like try mm-hmm. and get the younger generation to not be brainwashed by this i would describe that as like the government side of things it it takes a very top-down approach they don't Mm. look at like the whole picture and they kind of take the approach of we'll solve the problem once the problem occurs instead of targeting the problem at its root and finding out ways in which you could change that beginning radicalization process where if you kind of got into that like 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 you said when people find like vulnerable kids or vulnerable young adults um, in those situations where you know islamophobia is rife so it kind of presents to them a feeling of security and like family and belonging. That's how that kind of extremist, those extremist views develop. And if the government were to tackle it, looking at that side of things instead of, oh, this problem's already occurred. Now let's make a discourse around that instead yeah. of targeting the roots of the problems. Yeah, let's just basically find anyone who we think is an extremist and lock them up because yeah. surely after they've been locked up in prison for a certain number it's of years it's already too late yeah, as well they've yeah. already done the crime yeah and also they're going to be locked up in prison for a number of years do you really think that after the yeah. number of years that they've stuck in prison with no form of like rehabilitation mm-hmm. or anything they're going to come out and be like i'm cured now yeah <laughs> i'm go. so much better <laughs> i feel like i want to go out to society and not have any extremist thoughts like obviously if that's anything not it would just get worse yeah literally this is why there's no sense of like rehabilitation rather than um that's just a problem with our prison system yeah. though yeah and also um it's the same with like the, we've talked about before about like the difference between forced and arranged marriage mm-hmm. there's a lot of um there's a lack of desire to actually understand that there is a difference between yeah. forced and arranged marriage from the top down and because of that it's basically th- these programs that are trying to help resolve the problem basically will try and find that they're basically just there's it's this kind of like they just kind of dance around the issue and they don't actually yeah. look at the real problems and how you would really go about tackling it and i think at the forefront of that is just this underlying like attitude of like anti-asian kind of racism or discrimination and islamophobia for sure mm-hmm. they don't want to take the time to 
acknowledge the nuances and the details of things they just want to tackle it as a whole most of the time when it's already way too late anyway and then you've got you know you've got your front men you've got your rishi sunak Preeti patel you've got all yeah. them and they make it look like it's all like yeah. diverse it, it, and they do the you know they check the box but it's tokenistic like yeah, it's totally sure. tokenistic and it's it's usually we just go around around in circles and like going back to the whole shimima begum situation i i would ask this like do you think that we would be oh do you think that we would be in this situation if Shumima Begum was a young white girl that had been radicalized by ISIS and was now out there and was saying I want to come back I think it's very easy to say no it wouldn't be the same if it was a young white girl however I think from in this particular situation with Shumima Begum because it was ISIS because at the time everything was very like hot and on the front forefront of news and stuff like it was it made global news like the stuff that was going on like the, the multiple attacks that were happening in the uk um i think it would be easy to say no it would be the same if it was a white girl however revoking her citizenship is also the reason why they've done it is because she would then pose a threat to like national security so i think if she really did pose that threat the citizenship would have been revoked regardless of what color she was mm. I suppose, yeah, there is that argument. I mean, you could it, hope. Definitely. You yeah. could hope that's what they would think, mm. that it would kind of stand for any anyone of any race. However, I think maybe the job is made easier for them because she's not white. Yeah. I think, like, there's also the... Um, a lot of people are putting forward the argument that, um, oh, like, why should um, we put our resources towards going and getting her back in, back in this country? Um, which I think is a fair enough argument... But then I'm also like, one thing I don't understand is we've we've seen those recent interviews where she's been in front of a camera and like has been like, so I don't understand how the people got there. Do, do you know do you know what I mean? Like if we can get cameras to like yeah. perform these interviews, why can't we bring her back? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand that. I think that's just going to be that one stepping stone that bringing her back here is going to be that one thing where she's going to get closer to receiving that citizenship. And I think that's what a lot of people don't want. Mm. Right, sure. Halima, welcome. Shall Sorry, we try- guys, it's not my fault. I had to, my cousin's moved in with us and I had to give her a lift. And she left half an hour later than yeah. she said she was. Shall we set up a mic? Um, do you want to pull that one over and test it? Testing. Right, great. There we go. Um, we'll sort you out of earphones in the break. Right. So, to fill you in, Halima, we're just talking about the Shamima Begum um issue at the moment we've been kind of like going a bit back and forth in terms of like well i suppose these are some arguments as to why people are feeling the way that they're feeling and then also thinking like but then obviously should her citizenship have been revoked so what what are your thoughts on the situation in terms of the citizenship being revoked i mean like it's illegal what the uk have done is they've literally broken international law um by revoking her citizenship and i think it set a very very dangerous precedent as to um in terms of like, for example, um, so they they revoked her citizenship on the basis that she she is of Bangladeshi descent, and Bangladesh has a law which says that if your parents or like your grandparents are of Bangladeshi descent, you you are, have access to Bangladeshi citizenship, right? It's not to say that it's automatic or that it's there. It's to say that you have access to it, mm. um, and they've 
revoked her citizenship on that basis. So she she doesn't have dual citizenship, by the way, guys. So like she she is stateless now. She doesn't have citizenship anywhere. Yeah. This woman is stateless. That in the UN Declaration of Human Rights is 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 they've broken international law by doing that. And also, I think it's it speaks to a very very dangerous precedent as to people of like color in this country we already know that our citizenship is conditional like if a british born british citizenship can have her citizenship revoked on the basis that she has descent elsewhere what does it mean of everyone else who has foreign descent mm. yeah the, yeah i know what you mean in terms of like setting a precedent for the future mm-hmm. like yes um sorry yes um shimura begum is a um more negative example in that obviously she has joined a group that is obviously mm-hmm. is terrorist associate is a terrorist group um so whilst whether or not you agree with it it's a lot more like there are reasons for why what's happened has happened yep. but in the future yep. obviously um what could this be extended to like what what other people in the future could potentially lose their citizenship yeah. over reasons other than terrorism yeah exactly exactly it's not like it's no matter what your feelings are on this case they've broken you the uk have broken the law like that's it's a fact they've broken the law they're not allowed to do it. you are not allowed to, every every person in this world has a right to citizenship and it's scary because as i said before as people of color we're already aware of how conditional our citizenship is so you're really just walking around with an asterisk over your head, like not quite a British citizen, you know? Mm. And also in terms of the Shamima Begum case in general, we can't, it's a, it's a very, very techie one because what she did is she's not, her, her crime isn't victimless. You know, when we, she went to join a terrorist organization. So what she did is not victimless. However, we can't also divorce the fact that her treatment in the UK by the wider British public and media is also steeped in Islamophobia and racism. Mm-hmm. You can't deny that because we have people like Jihadi John, for example, like a white British man who also left to join ISIS. He does not get the same kind of scrutiny and coverage. And again, this is not to say that what she did was right or whatever else, but also now we need to think about um and this is a very very uncomfortable truth because when we think of something like for example isis they are they are formidably a wrong like it's it's just wrong right there's no way to moralize or um reconcile with what isis is and what isis stands for however having said that we we need to like um we need to look at the way that we 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 understand victimhood and and the way that we frame like victimhood in this country because Shamima Begum and this is an uncomfortable truth that a lot of people don't like to think about she was groomed like she was 12 years the facts of the case are she was 12 years old when she started communications with with you know ISIS members um her family did flag it up to the authorities they didn't do anything about it and then eventually she left to join them and people are saying like oh at 15 you know the difference between right and wrong and oh I knew the difference between you know right and wrong at 15 yeah that's true but also who are ISIS they're they are an organization that the FBI and the MI5 have been trying for the best part of over a decade to combat why would a 15 year old girl be able to resist a 15 year old girl from ends why would she be able to resist a deliberate a willful system of grooming when the mi5 and the fbi can't even 
cut, tackle ISIS and you expect Shamima Begum at 15 to be able to yeah. do it, you know? Like she was groomed, she was radicalized. There's no way, what, however we want to look, however we want to frame the situation, that is the fact of the matter. She was radicalized and groomed, most importantly, on British soil. And this is another problem. This is another kind of like layer to this argument of, oh, what do we do with her? Every bro, she was radicalized on British soil. How? What? And and this is where like, I'm going to speak very carefully here because I'm not making any accusations. But I'm I want to follow this line of questioning in earnest. And the line of questioning is, how does a 15 year old girl board a flight without any adult supervision? to Syria in 2015 at the height of ISIS activity and nobody bats an eyelid. How is that allowed to happen? I mean, literally, when you said that now, like, it's literally incredulous. Yeah, <laughs> like, how is that like... allowed to happen? And you know what? It's also like, how have me personally, how have I never thought that before? Yeah. It's be- probably because there is this subtle um, Islamophobia yeah, rooted in my head as well that yeah. I'm like, oh, she's joined ISIS. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? that's what happens. But this is what I mean, like, how, why, why was that allowed to happen? She's 15 years old. And again, 2015, the height of ISIS activity. Mm. How, how did this happen? And again, I, I, I bring back to the point that I was saying before. She had had correspondences with ISIS members since the age of 12. Her family had flagged this up to the authorities. and they, uh, So it, the, the British state failed. The British state failed to act and now all of a sudden, and this is a funny thing as well, like Bangladesh is just chilling. Bangladesh is not involved in any way. Now all of a sudden she's Bangladesh's problem. Yeah. And also let me, I want to bring in, I want to bring in another point as well while we're talking about this. They're pushing Shamima Begum to Bangladesh for her to deal with, right? Knowing by the way that Bangladesh has capital punishment for, for crimes such as these. Why then did the British state, there are, there are, for those of you who don't know, this is a bit of a history lesson, there are people who committed war crimes during the 1971 Liberation War in Bangladesh who have, um, they're in hiding now in, in the UK. The Bangladeshi government have re- had requested for these people to be extradited back to Bangladesh. The British government have r- refused because they say that, oh, if they go back to Bangladesh, they'll get the, the death penalty. So again, it's a very willful thing. Like, how come they're so willing to send her to Bangladesh? Bearing in mind, this girl has never stepped foot in Bangladesh yeah. in her life. Like, I don't understand. Like, what's Bangladesh got anything to do with this? They're no. just chilling, bro. And now they have to deal with with uh, ISIS bride. It's actually so true. Like, for example, if, um, if say, like we were talking before about would this have happened for if, say, a white girl had been radicalized by ISIS yeah. and wants to come back, would we be saying, oh, no, she's got to go back to Sweden? You know what I mean? She's got to go back to Norway. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. she's not our problem. She's yeah. like um, the... Um, <coughs> we'll send her, yeah. send her back to her like Viking roots. Yeah, like, literally. you know, wherever the Anglo-Saxons yeah. came from, we'll send her back there. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. No. Uh, like, it literally can't. And that's why, again, when we see cases like Jihadi John, um, for those of you who don't know, like Google here, why is, the, why is this person not receiving the same media scrutiny? Mm. And also, like, another thing, again, like, we can't divorce divorce the Shamima Begum case from the culture of Islamophobia because, for example, do you guys know what Prevent is? Prevent. Yeah, so it's a government scheme. So every Muslim will know right now, like, it's a government scheme that basically looks to tackle radicalization. So they, oh, look, okay. to, they look to find the kind of, like, early onset radicalization um, of extremism and terrorism and things like that. But obviously it's used disproportionately to affect uh, Muslim students. I'm talking about harassment, like, infiltration in, in pri- as young as primary schools. They're literally, these government officials are infiltrating primary schools and trying to get kids to, like, snitch on their parents and things 
things like mm. that. It's it's ridiculous. Um, there is so the fact is that there's only a two percent difference in prevent referrals between white extremism and Islamist radicalization, right? So why does one receive more scrutiny than the other? Why does one re- receive disproportionate scrutiny from the other? That's what I mean. You can't divorce the culture of Islamophobia and racism from this case. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, that's all I had to say, really. But right. actually, I could say a lot more. But... Yeah, I feel like we are going to have to move on just looking at the time. And yeah. Simran, do you have any like um, closing comments on the whole Shamima Begum um, fiasco? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not after that, no. no. <laughs> to be honest, you know what? I'll just say one last thing. Yeah, and this is obviously my personal opinion. A lot of people are a lot of people are celebrating this decision, the Supreme Court's decision to um, you know, not not give her to, to strip her of her citizenship. Um and I understand for a lot of ethnic minorities it comes from a place of like anxiety, especially Muslim communities, anxiety that if we don't if we're not shown to actively side against her, then they're gonna assume that we're with her. Right? But let me just let me just say one thing to you guys. For me, pretty Patel acts as like a moral compass, right? Whatever whatever her opinion is, I'm on the other side of that. So if you find yourself agreeing with Pretty Patel, just ask yourself, like, what go on? What's going on there? That's just my personal opinion. Right. So obviously another big news point from this past week is lockdown. So we have our roadmap now. So mm. what's it first of all, what's everyone's thoughts on the actual roadmap in terms of how they've spaced it out and the priority <clears throat> of what they've done? So like, what is it, 8th of March, 28th of March, 12th of April, then 21st of June. Mm. What do we think? I think it's quite sensible the way they've done it because obviously they've seen the success of the vaccine so far that, you know, they've been rolled out quite effectively and efficiently. But, you know, there's always going to be some people saying that it's still too early and we still need to get this many people vaccinated first before we even think about opening things <coughs> up. And then, you know, because I think it's all going to be like the same the same kind of thing that everyone said last year why don't we just keep the first lockdown continuous and just carry that on everyone probably would have rather that than the in and out thing that we had for the last half of 2020 mm. yeah. yeah i feel like i get i get what they're trying to do but i feel like it would have been more sensible if instead of using numbers as um as like uh as watersheds they should have used um infection rates like instead of saying like oh sorry instead of using dates so instead of saying oh by this date we'll do this this and this that it should have been like oh when we're at this and this level of infection rates then we'll open this and when we're mm-hmm. at this level of infection rates then we'll open this mm-hmm. like i feel like that would have made more sense because yeah that it's not mm-hmm. exact they don't exactly correlate time and infection rates you know yeah oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ob- obviously by the 21st of june like yeah. COVID, covid goes on summer holiday though, yeah so exactly like, it yeah. Work like that. yeah so i feel like they should have done it by infection rates mm. what do we feel about the actual um like order in which they've done it though like as in like obviously schools first and then outdoor restaurants mm-hmm. and then normal restaurants i think it is and then yeah. everything well, i think schools first always is a good choice. That's mm. the then, that needs have, to open. But having said that, the, why have they not vaccinated teachers then? Like yeah, exactly. teachers should have been in a priority group if they're I, so. If if schools opening is a priority, true. then teachers should mm. have been in the priority group for vaccinations. And you know what I don't understand is I was you know when they announced the first nine groups, I was like, why are teachers not involved in that as key workers? Mm. Now that we're coming to the end of nine groups, they've confirmed that the next will be 
40 to 49, then 30 to 39. And so then like, you're just going by age. There's no, there's no wow. occupation. So I'm just like, and you're talking about sending kids back to school in the 8th of March. Like, how can you, how can you morally send mm-hmm, teachers mm-hmm, in to, mm-hmm. with kids with super spreaders mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like li- literally mm-hmm. like who might have like health conditions or who might have just missed the vaccine mark yeah, like yeah. like why like i don't understand yeah. why don't you just prioritize them and you said it from a moral standpoint but even if you don't have morals bro like it's just a sensible thing to do yeah do you know what i mean like yeah i feel like we can't really my personal opinion is that you can't really rely on the government to act by moral guidelines but i mean same government that's on personal opinion, personal there, opinion. Yeah. same government that don't want to feed starving children you know but how like it's just logical it's just like, I don't get why they're not vaccinating ch- teachers. Teachers mm. have been shed differently, man, in this pandemic. Feel mm. for you lot. Yeah, that no, it is it's so true. And the fact that they're also talking about, oh, they may have to give up some of their summer holidays to help kids catch up. Like, mm. what do you think? They've just been lazing around this whole yeah, time. They yeah, haven't yeah, they yeah, been yeah, trying exactly. to deal with like managing mm-hmm, like 30 mm-hmm. kids over a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Like their that's... own lives, their own kids, their yeah. own things exactly. going on. A pandemic in itself. Like that's yeah. just way teachers have honestly have gone through it this year. But they've proposed yeah. this like what four billion pound plan to get um the education catch up for kids now. They're mm-hmm. on like this big they're on a mad one now trying to get all these kids to like um this catch up on the education they've missed obviously because everyone's because zoom um teaching is not effective no like you've been saying something haven't you like obviously not trying to get you in the deep here and liverpool uni if you're listening <laughs> but you have a you've said like zoom calls haven't been as effective because you've experienced definitely both, not like, i yeah. don't i don't feel they've been effective but I wasn't even just talking about myself then. I'm talking about mostly like the younger kids, like yeah. primary school, beginning of secondary school. Those are such foundational years, such key years where you need that, A, the social interaction that comes with seeing your mates every day at school mm. and B, the face-to-face teaching of like, you know, basic concepts <clears throat> in education, your English and maths, that kind of stuff. Like I've got um two little cousins. They're, the twins are seven and their sister's nine. Mm. Um, I've seen firsthand the effects that Zoom school has had on them. Like mm. it's it's really <clears throat> like threatened the amount of education you could just see the difference between if they had been to normal school in the last year and what the the quality that they're receiving now and mm-hmm. it's not the teacher's fault by no way am i saying it's the teacher's fault it's really not it's just the way that this has been structured is just not as practical or effective as it should be mm. compared sure. to face-to-face teaching like so what do you think about the whole need for um like catch up like do you think there's actually need for catch up because i was speaking to my dad about this and he was saying oh like literally in um what's that what's the word i want to use this say third world because we're not like we don't want to use that terminology. say previously colonized yeah. Previ- most of yeah, the time that's true, what they are yeah previously colonized countries that are now on a back foot mm-hmm. um they mm-hmm. go through the worst all the time they go through like wars happening this mm-hmm, that the other mm-hmm. and he was saying like these kids just they they they've been through so much worse than what yeah. obviously everyone's been through it this year and we're not yeah, taken yeah, away yeah. from that but they go through so much worse and they mm-hmm. still manage to like that they're this with it you know yeah. you know what i mean like they but i think that just speaks on the resilience of people in other countries compared to the resilience of people in british countries people. like ours yeah british people yeah. um because it's just like something like this will happen and it derails the country, it derails the education system, it derails mm. the, the societies that we live in. Mm. Um, whereas, you, like you just said, that people in other countries have it far worse and they get on with it, mm. you know? It's socialisation, isn't it? It's just because we're not used For to sure. living like this yeah. and like elsewhere they might be. For sure. But I do think the catch-up is necessary because I think mm. while you could put in as much catch-up as you want, but the damage has been done. You're not going to get the kids up to the standard that they would have been at or the <clears> kids <throat> before them that had gone through education pre-pandemic. Mm. 
However, the catch up is necessary because the amount that these kids have lost out on in terms of those core teaching concepts and like, you know, just the, the last year of education that they've missed, something needs to happen to bring them back up to speed at least a little bit more. It's mm. damage control at this point. Now, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So going off teachers and just back to the general roadmap, what do we think about, like, obviously it's been great, like, funny content that's come from this whole 21st of june thing yeah. like, me sleeping like, in my bed <laughs> sleeping in my bed with all my clothes laid out next to me with the shoes on the bed yeah. just like twitter is really undefeated you know no like obvious ah uh, uh, but then they've been saying about how they're gonna have you heard about this pay thing what pay like thing? this is a completely separate thing but like they've been talking about introducing paying to see tweets on twitter Oh, RIP Twitter was trending yesterday because they're going to introduce this thing called Super Follows, where it's basically like oh. you can pay to, you can do this thing where people have to pay to see your tweets and oh stuff. Oh my God. What a joke. I'm even yeah. like OnlyFans, forget it, man. <laughs> Who's really going to do that except for maybe celebrities? Yeah. Your average Twitter famous 4,000 followers person ain't going to do that because yeah. no one's paying for that. Yeah. I wonder though, there are really people whose entire lives Someone are Someone will, you know those like, clubhouse people, people that sit yeah! on clubhouse for like four hours a yeah! night and talk about, talk about, this is my issue with club, all right, I'm going to talk about clubhouse yeah. now for a sec. This is my issue with clubhouse. You're giving random people a massive platform to talk about anything. Yeah. People are talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. like these really big life issues or like mm -hmm. social issues, mm -hmm. to misogyny, racism, mm -hmm. like you know yeah mm. the, uh, you know like what like there what was, there was this there was an issue like a few few weeks ago maybe like um where people were talking on coronavirus <laughs> um obviously not qualified and a doctor would come up and be like well actually these are the facts and the figures and the person <laughs> that moderate in the room would have the audacity to be like well no well no like how are you refuting what a qualified professional <laughs> is saying and it's just it's true like these platforms you're just do... giving people with with without the proper education um, yeah. without they're untrained on these issues and they literally are just anyone anyone can like yeah. host their room moderate a room whatever and you're giving them a platform to speak to hundreds of people on like really serious world issues mm. and i'm just like what and then the people listening to it take it as fact because that's their twitter famous person that they really like yeah. you know to be fair that's every social media like any public domain but i think clubhouse just like streamlines it all yeah. and makes it but you know with like instagram easy. you're just talking out into the open like whether it affects someone or yeah, someone engages like with room, it it kind yeah. of happens if it's good content or not and you can very easily be fact-checked on there whereas mm. clubhouse even though you have moderate moderators there's such a lack of moderation on it so would you say the difference between clubhouse and radio which is basically the same thing is that with clubhouse there's no sense of filter or moderation yeah. or anyone anything. can say what yeah. they want anyone yeah. can voice whatever opinion they have and also the difference between radio is <clears throat> we sit and we prepare these episodes and we like talk about in advance and stuff and we do our research and I would say that we're not unqualified yeah. to talk about most of the stuff we talk about whereas I'm not going to sit and, and talk we have about... rules as well like, we, we have, have rules, rules yeah we have rules we have to follow there's certain them. things that we have to say or not say or whatever different guidelines mm -hmm. that doesn't exist mm -hmm. on Clubhouse mm. no. free for all mm. I'm surprised like is it not going to be used for like um quite like extremist like right wing like sort Definitely of like of course, sure. of course, it will. Of course that's, it will. you're just creating a forum for anyone to talk as much as they want to talk about whatever they want and that's dangerous mm. that's it's that but that's that's a very i think it's a problem with social media in general i feel like they're just they're just each social media app is just an iteration of every other one mm. you know definitely so. now for sure everyone's bringing in stories or yeah, yeah. fleets <laughs> fleets oh. that thing really flopped i don't think yeah. i've ever seen a fleet you know what though on we haven't made use of it but i have thought you know what like 
tweets get lost very easily mm. and having them stay at the top is actually like would be a good way of making sure that your content's still like seen mm. yes it it's it's stupid sorry to work but like at the same <laughs> time like having it appear like i've thought like you know what like we should actually like just use it just to make it but like... see you're thinking of it from like a very a business kind yeah. of perspective and like a lot of people just don't really we use it for social and leisure purposes. yeah you don't care if your tweet's gonna blow up or not yeah right? exactly yeah fair we've got a massive tangent there but basically what i was saying was obviously there's been so much great content that's come from this whole 21st of june like it's been hilarious but at the same time obviously everyone's getting amped up everyone's like literally like oh 21st of june it's dangerous this, that like and i know um one of our presenters um miss um, money penny who's like um speak she runs the breakfast show she actually put up a clip on her instagram because she actually worked in like events mm. before covid hit and obviously mm. she's been hit pretty hard by like yeah, yeah, all yeah. this um not being able to work basically and she was saying like she just put up this instagram saying like i'm just she, she basically just got up the roadmap and was like this is what actually is happening i'm not trying to put anyone down all i'm saying is like don't get your hopes mm-hmm. up because i i went through it last year and i like thought oh maybe we'd be able to do stuff at the end of last year and we didn't like sort of things so i don't want anyone to go through that and everyone's just kind of like coming for her to be honest like oh like, really yeah, yeah. she got a lot of hair yeah Did like she? and the thing is as well like you can just tell from the type of comments like it's a bit similar to sometimes when people come for us when we put forward stuff that yeah. views that are a bit like mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. they don't actually you can tell they, they, haven't, they, listened. Have, they haven't they haven't yeah. listened they, they just, haven't paid attention they've seen like the, the basic gist of what's going on and then they're like, oh, why are you putting a downer and stuff? Mm. And it's just like, all she's trying to do is make it so that it doesn't come to like the 20th of June. Mm-hmm. And then when, because it's still very, it, it could happen. Like a new variant could like take no, over. No, it's like 100% anything. still precarious. It's like, so people are still dying. Still, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we know, again, like it's not unreasonable to say be careful because we know from set precedent from, from the government, from government action that we can't rely on like government plans. We literally can't. Like we had a mm. spike in September because of they didn't close schools and colleges and universities and like, yeah. Yeah, and no, just to clarify, we're not saying don't follow government guidelines. What we're saying is they've set a precedent in the past where, yeah. like, literally it's happened like three times. Yeah. They said something, it doesn't work. Yep. We do it too late and then we're back yep. in lockdown again. Exactly. Like... You can't trust them to take the right action at the right time. So it's you do, again, like, just because they're saying, I mean, eat out to help out. Come on. And the fact that it, they're saying, oh, it's considering making it come back. Like, yeah, yeah, like, hello. God. I mean, that was 100% a massive reason yeah. why we had the spike, like, yeah. in, in autumn but last year. This is the problem, though. Like, we all say that. And then there'll be people that say, oh, why are you saying that, though? I love Eat Out to Help Out. Like, it was the best thing ever. Like, yeah. It's all right. That it was inf- great. It's, it's fine that the like... infection rate spiked because I got 50% off Nando's. Get a grip, yeah. man. <sighs> That's what I'm saying. Like, with the people, if we go back to the Miss Moneypenny situation where people in the comments a aren't educated enough on the issue mm. and b they're seeing something they don't necessarily agree with because it doesn't mean they get their like yeah. amazing june 21st day mm. um so they just hit it with that knee-jerk emotional reaction where they just say whatever they want to say and it just comes out so wrong mm. and it just makes them look stupid to be yeah. fair but um even no, if she silly. even if she listen at the end of the day even if she was just being absolutely negative and just pee on on everyone's parade that's her prerogative she's allowed to do that but you have to be realistic man we can't just because he said that 
June twenty first day doesn't mean that everything's yeah, exactly. going to go back to normal. Keep like, your wits about you. That's yeah. it. And I watched a really informational video. This uh, this woman, I can't remember who she was or anything, but um, she was just talking about how what he said was was that the earliest possible date that we could go back to normality, I put that in air quotes, normality, mm. was June 21st. That mm. wasn't necessarily the day, yeah, just yeah, the yeah, earliest yeah, yeah. date that it could happen. So mm. like you said, um, Carlos, if there was a new variant, that could be pushed back a month, two months, you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think also if you look at Scotland, for example, um, they've done things a bit differently in that they've um, they've only said what they're going to do up until, until April, which is a lot more like realistic, mm. like thinking yeah. a few months in time. Like we actually Does you know as it goes? see yeah. what I don't like about what's happened the last year is the amount of hope that we've been given, and then that's what it's gets taken away you, because man. it was like okay, you started easing the lockdown what June July last year, mm. the, the yeah. rule of six came in and all yeah. that, then the eat out to help out in August, mm-hmm. and then it was like nope, we take that back. Mm-hmm. not anymore mm-hmm. like they just took that back then it was like the tier system if you were in tiers one two and three then they introduced four mm-hmm. like it was just a mess like mm-hmm. why you can't give people the freedom give them the little taste of like the good yeah. life and then take it back off them it should have yeah. just been no, strict no all the way through it's mm-hmm. no strategy just chaos on vibes yeah <laughs> or we'd all be like new zealand right now it all oh, like, literally they them man are clubbing no but you know what it is festivals they, they had one I, they had like one isolated in, instance of covid and then they just locked they down took, all, they locked they down the whole action. country yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, genius yeah. yeah exactly but because we don't want to be called negative nancy's what do we think is going to happen if everything goes to plan gets to june 21st What's the first thing everyone here is doing? Fam, out. I, yeah, I told my mum, like, you lot are not seeing I'm going me. out and I'm not uh-huh, coming home uh-huh, uh-huh, for, like, a month, uh-huh, maybe. Uh-huh, exactly, exactly. Like, the first, the from the first day, like, I'm sleeping on a park bench, guys. I'm not coming yeah. home. I'm not coming home. I'm just going to bring a backpack full of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly. And as soon as flights open, oh, my I'm days, you here. lot will never never see my face again you think i'm joking i'm not i'm actually not even joking every day this is what i'm waiting for that's my lifeline at the minute just mm. thinking of when flights are going to be allowed to run again out oh of this God. uk do you like do you lot in light traveling then i do i do yeah. I, I and i've i've had like the oh it makes me so sad to think about it like i travel quite often um and i've not, obviously the last time it was march 2020 was the last time I was... That's just before. Just though, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I just have the itch. Like, if I don't travel for, like, a while, if I don't travel for a few months, I get the itch. And, mm. like, I've had to sit on this for so... You, you, I don't even... I can't tell you the amount of times, like, I've been, like, sat on my laptop, almost books. You know, recently, I almost went to do, like, some volunteering in Costa Rica because I was just so desperate to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I really went, I nearly went, like I went, I stormed downstairs and I said to my mum, I'm going. But then I, yeah, I just, it wasn't the right move, but so I stayed. <laughs> uh, uh, what I are you know. doing? What am I doing? June 21st. I, I'm still a bit sceptical, but honestly, like, I don't know, I suppose it was just, I, I'm not that, like, in my like relationship, my girlfriend is the one who's like, "Oh, I want to go everywhere." I'm just kind of a bit like, I don't just really following like, her around. Yeah, like, I, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't really care. Obviously, I like going places, but I'm not, I'm not like, "Oh, I want to go here, I want to go there." But one thing I'm really looking forward to is just being able to like, kind of like, be with your friends again and mm. not like have to worry and kind mm-hmm. of just like, just like not even like going out, just being able to like go around each other's houses and yeah. like because if you've been like properly obeying the rules, like you haven't like properly done that like for like a year and it's mm-hmm. mad like it'll get a lot of being getting used to but just like 
I think just the idea of being able to make plans is yeah, going to be yeah, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and not yeah. feeling restrained, like, oh, when this is over, oh, when this is over. Yeah, yeah like, just there's going to be no, yeah, like, no air of, like, there's, oh, there's, like, a threat of getting caught out or, like, we're doing mm. something wrong or, like, this is what we're doing is illegal or whatever. There's, like, none of that is, like, this is all completely allowed. You can be with as many people as you like. Mm. Freedom, you know? You know what um, COVID has made me really realise? Like, which on, sounds a bit weird. Like, go on. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we live on an island. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, I've known that forever, but, like, I've been really deep in it recently. Like, whoa, like, we are actually, like, this tiny island surrounded tiny. by water. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is, like, I'm sure this is, like, comes down from, like, all, this whole idea of, like, British, like, colonialism and thinking we're, like, the centre of the world. And, like, yeah, we are, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, for sure. But, like, the whole... I don't know, you just don't think we're about so it. so insignificant. Yeah, like, we actually... Like we Some could be, liquid island. We could be obliterated so easily. But we're so <laughs> like, tiny, and yet so many deaths, so many cases. Mm. Such well, a big. That's the I, thing no, that's ridiculous. High, yeah. That's no. the thing that's ridiculous about but the say, UK. Saying that though, we are um, obviously highly populated. So to give, the, gotta give the them density that, of like, the population. Yeah. We're yeah, highly, we're enough. highly populated, but also like we're not as highly populated as other countries that. Well, are we densely populated? Yeah. Are for, we? For our landmass, yeah, compared to like New Zealand, we're a lot like. Well, yeah, but know. New Zealand are very, they're like on the other extreme, like they're sparsely. I'm just thinking because I'm, I'm obviously like Bengali and like Bangladesh is, I think, the most po- densely populated yeah. country in the world. So I'm just thinking in terms of Bangladesh, like this, it, doesn't, sure. it probably doesn't seem yeah, no, as much fair. in comparison. But you know, like what you just said, we're an island, it would make sense that. Like it would follow that we'd be able to control it better because we don't have borders to contend with like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's so true. Like we really didn't do this well, guys. No, we didn't. And yeah, no. Boris Johnson's talking about doing a massive underground roundabout, like in the Isle of Was it Isle of What's is the one up north? Is it Isle of White or Isle of Man? The one that Isle of Man. Man. White's down south. Yeah. Right. So Isle of Man. He he wants to do this like round. He wants to do this roundabout, which is underneath the Isle of man and basically there's gonna be tunnels like underneath the sea so it's gonna be like a trade thing between ireland and that like see what he wants to do with that it's just like he's this guy all right man (laughs) your people are dying my guy i beg you give them attention talking about a roundabout this guy plans and that oh but now like is i think especially now we're getting to a year since the pandemic we've just been through like a whole God. basically winter of lockdown mm-hmm. the sun coming out like we were talking about oh, before so it makes you feel yeah. so like you anticipate everything so much yeah. like you're so like oh like summer's coming like mm. I, this is why it's dangerous this whole like june 21st thing like i fully predict like and again we're not inciting anything because i wouldn't do this anyway but I fully predict if if people get too gassed by this June twenty first thing and it doesn't happen, people are people gonna, will just do it anyway. Yeah, people are gonna riot. Like they they are. People are like, gonna be so annoyed at that point that it's yeah. just gonna it might tensions might get so high that you're right. Like it might end yeah, up in something I, like that. I think they will like literally just be like, no, I'm gonna do what I want. Like because to be fair to them, being locked up for like that long, like it is it is gonna take a massive. Yeah, no, it's not. I'm not. Health. I'm yeah. I'm not looking at anyone sideways for for holding June twenty first to such high esteem because it's what you said. Like we've literally been in lockdown. At that point, it would have been like n- nearly a year and a half. You mm. know, like June twenty mm. first. We're not made to 
we're not built to live like this. That's we're not, not made how our society to... was ever set exactly. up in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was kind of saying about the last half of 2020. I think that's what, for me, when the pandemic actually got really frustrating. It wasn't that first lockdown. Mm. Yeah. Although this very recent one has been very hard because obviously I think the winter just made it a lot worse. It just exacerbated a lot of issues. But mm. it was that September, no, like August through November period where it was like, oh, you're in lockdown. No, you're not. Oh, you're in tier two. Yeah. No, oh, you're in tier three. So that means this, or that means that. Do you know what Open I mean? Schools, is, colleges, and like just no decisive action. This is why this whole um, tiers thing was never really a good idea because no, never. Um, like I said, we are like a tiny island, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the idea that it's not even like oh, England's England's in one tier, Scotland's one tier. The, yeah. the idea of like actual, not even yeah. counties. The uh-huh. fact that local like councils. local, like yeah. oh, Stockport, yeah. this, but we're Wiggins, not. That, they're not yeah. geographically yeah. isolated oh my God. from each other. These at home, I was in tier three, but my gym was open in tier two. Yeah, does so I could, sense. So if you went yeah. to gym where I lived, couldn't go to the gym there because it was tier three. But because I was registered at that gym. Yeah. I, I used to be able to travel and go to gym there. And like people obviously travel for work and stuff. Like it, it was never gonna. It was never gonna work. Like, no, like I said, just chaos and vibes, man. That's our government chaos strategy. and vibes. Chaos and vibes. Yeah. In our opinion. But, yeah. In yeah, my t- opinion. Take t- t- from it what you will. Um. But yeah, just to finish off manifesting. Um. What is, like, obviously we've talked about like going flying, going to like. What are you guys gonna do like apart from partying? Like what? What is the one thing that? What is one thing that you're gonna like take advantage of that you weren't able to do before? Like it's not partying, not traveling. Like what is? I it? think what you said, bro. Just having my friends and family around, yeah. like, just being mm. able to see my people. Them like it's been so but hugging long. people again. Like the physical contact. I feel like I've really missed it. I mean, I'm like very fortunate to live with my friends. Like we hug all the time and stuff. But just kind of me when you see another person and you could just go up to them and like give them a hug or whatever or like instead of touching mm. elbows. Yeah. Um. Yes. But like meeting new people again. Like I feel like I've not said i've not said like hi my name's simran to anyone in like so long Mm. yeah true you know like just being able to just be around people and not be scared and that's kind Mm. of another thing i wanted to talk about was say it does happen on june 21st or whatever day it does happen don't you guys feel a tiny bit of like anxiety about the whole thing that it is going to be scary and i feel really germophobic at the moment Mm. i think germophobia is really going to be ingrained in all of us Uh now Uh definitely like i was watching this video about like how the world's going to change after covid and one thing is like they're saying like birthday cakes you think about it it's actually pretty gross like we allow one person to basically spit over our whole cake oh when they're blowing God, the candles yeah. out oh my God. like oh. not gonna even hurt. as you were yeah. saying it, i was like yeah. what's so bad about a birthday yeah. cake and then i was yeah. like oh yeah like, and then oh, everyone would take a slice away like it's kind of <laughs> like when you think about it that's actually like a that's bit and like, i think facts. people will continue wearing masks as well like a lot mm. of people were saying that they've not had any flu-like symptoms like since i have said this i always get sick over winter once if not twice between the months of like november and february wow. touch wood i've not been sick once not even a symptom Wow, touch wood. Mm. Yeah, touch wood, literally. <laughs> like, I've not been sick, not even a cold, nothing. Mm. It's this it's this mask, and every time I touch something, I use hand sanitizer. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I think the, the social anxiety thing will be quite prevalent. I think a lot of people will be nervous, first of all, about going back into the outside world, and second of all, going back out into the outside world knowing that we were so ardently kind of discouraged from doing so for mm. so long. I think a lot of people will have, like, internalised that mm. fear and that threat, mm. um, and perhaps will struggle to shake it off yeah right so do you want to finish with a positive note just i feel like we've like had a bit of a doubt on it now like oh we're gonna be inside just pray to god please just pray to god april 12th is happening right april 12th isn't 
well, we do it. Don't we? Who, what, yeah. who knows what's going to happen yeah. in March? Well, like, okay, well, let's hope for, back, okay, right. let's be positive. Let's, take it let's say back April 12th, it does happen. That's the first step. We can start meeting in groups of six. We can do things outside again. I think non-essential retail's opening, I believe. Gyms yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, Gyms is a massive yeah. thing for mental health and stuff. Mm. So I'm buzzing for that. I'm sure a lot of people are. Um, yeah, so that's our relate. first step and then you know it's the roadmap we're just gonna take it step by step and exactly, see yeah. exactly how it goes sweet we're gonna hear from RG Manuapile now who caught up with Sakshi to tell us a bit about his poetry you know the main reason why we're talking today and we're discussing your poetry your work so tell me a little bit about um, how you got into poetry was it was it a teenage angst that started writing poetry or or you know a late more later on in life and how did you sort of think that you know maybe i could make this a career i was doing rap like my first background is that so i rapped for many years and i was in two bands and those bands like enjoyed little bits of success but it meant that I worked on that craft a lot. So I was in studios and doing stuff. And then um, uh, when I was at university, I met a lot of young people who were struggling up in Hull and they didn't have any sort of, not much knowledge or of the culture of hip hop at that time. Right. So I started running workshops and the workshops were free and unpaid and volunteering. And then when I moved back to London, I realised that there was loads of people doing that as a job. So I started focusing in on that um, way of making money. Um, and that allowed me to go to schools, visit young people, encourage people to write poems, make a living. Uh, and only in the last maybe six or seven years, I started writing poems really seriously. Mm-hmm. Um before that, I was just focused on participation work and that sort of aspect of it. Right. And when did when did you think that, you know, oh, I'm kind of good at this. Like, you know, when did you think, oh, this is something good and, and I want to share it with the world and I could actually, this is something incredible that I'm very confident about? I always liked writing. I feel like writing was always my calling. My parents were like, oh, it's, they thought it was a passing like a hobby almost or like a passing trend especially rap like my parents just didn't really get that uh but they weren't not supportive though mm-hmm. so from about after when i went to uni I, I was relatively naughty in secondary school and in uni mm-hmm. um so i basically spent loads of time in the studio so i knew then i was into it uh and back then it was a lot about fame and stuff like that whereas now you just become more into the actual art form and being the best that you can be within the art form regardless of how many people are listening or whatever and in terms of breaking into the industry um obviously it isn't if we go by stereotypes or the norms it isn't a very um easy lucrative. career to lucrative easy to career to access as well you don't have exposure to th- this kind of industry um especially if you're not from london i know you were from london but you spent a bit of time in hull um so how has it been for you breaking into the industry and especially as a south asian man and you know i read i read that you did get a lot of so, sort of you you have a really good mentor right now and you did 
you know, you were kind of nominated for a lot of things and you got a lot of prize. So outwardly, it seems like you got support for for your talent. But was that really the case? And and how have you found it? I think um, it's not easy to constantly. If you go in the hip hop scene, you don't get many. I can think of a few Asian rappers like who look like us, basically. Very few women, even less. I mean, I can't even think of one um, who's on the circuit. Um, so that's always a difficult thing because for poetry, you can run into groups and you could walk in like 90% of the people will be white. Mm. Um, and then if there is a black or Asian person in the group, you tend to pull towards them because they make you feel better. Mm. And also you're not going to write poems about um, South Asian culture if you're surrounded by white people because you only you, you want to show them, then you're going to give them the poem. They're going to be like, what is this about? Because they don't understand it. So that's really difficult. But um, after ages of working and connecting with people, I realized that the connection was the major thing, like creating a community and putting work into the community um, of poets. That allowed me um, the opportunity to go more into finding a mentor and let, letting them lead me more. Mm -hmm. um, and those mentors, like, they changed everything for me, really. And without them, the work wouldn't be as good. Because you can write poems all day. Like, people can write poems or music and say, oh, my poems or music are so good. But the thing is, if it's not kicking, like, on a, on a massive scale, uh, they're only going to be good for you, your mom, your dad, or whatever not going to be good on that massive level sure um yeah so i think mentor mentorships are one of the best ways to um get going in the industry did you did you seek those mentorships yourself so you had to do a lot of groundwork or or is it kind of commonplace to hear about these opportunities um to be mentored and is it sort of easily accessible accessible and known to people who might want to get into the space i don't think it's that easy and accessible i mean i would say that the zoom thing has opened up a lot of opportunities for people outside of London, but also who can't access things as they normally would, but they weren't able to before. Now they can access groups and stuff, groups like the Poetry School or Arvon or um, a, a range of other ones, Tinawith in Wales. Mm -hmm. They provide courses. And when you go on the course, you meet other poets and then you can start to create a community and when you create a community it's usually led by a few and those few people are the people that it's good to connect with and say oh do you fancy mentoring me for five sessions and then see it where it takes you sort of thing nice okay cool um so obviously you look very young but on your website uh, and everywhere else it says that you have about 15 years of experience which yeah. is hard to fathom looking at you um, that's, uh, that's what i go for <laughs> um so you know obviously i know that you've you've done a lot of stuff in education doing workshops like like you said and, and working in a lot of organizations where you work with immigrants um and refugees so I wanted to get your opinion and your perspective on on 
basically misconceptions that we and you might have had before working with these communities um and since working with them what have you found that that's been sort of startling to you it's a big question because um one of the things that you really realize well i've come to realize is that all borders um and the idea of us sitting in one place is in itself a very recent idea and the idea of a border in itself is very alien like if you think about all other animals when they cross across the world migrating um, they're not stopped at any point in that process mm -hmm. so i think i've really moved um working a lot with refugee and asylum seekers has made me understand that human beings are basically similar in so many different ways but also have differing cultures that can speak to each other that can help us all grow in our unified awareness that everybody is one thing one uh, goal um so that's been a really that's probably the biggest thing i've learned i think a lot of people right now are in echo chambers like with false realities about uh what rights um asylum seekers have when they come into the country people think they're in five star hotels uh people think there's thousands every day uh people think that that there aren't many deaths in the med or the sahara but there's absolutely loads of stuff happening all the time uh and refugee and asylum seekers make up uh 0.6% of the overall population but if you go into a school and you ask young people how many what percentage of um uk population is refugee or asylum seekers they'll say 40% 45% because their ignorance is so like ingrained into society that these people are coming over and doing this and doing that but 99.9% .9 of them are just looking for one to get away from persecution or war and uh, to to set up a new life and have what they deserve um the human right to seek a decent education and live a life that's uh, better for their kids so yeah i think my work with refugees has been some of the most important work i've ever done obviously it's it's really reassuring to to see that people are engaging with these communities and and sharing that knowledge as well do you find that writing poetry um and language language and do you do sort of poetry workshops with the refugees with the asylum seekers and how is that interaction if they don't know english if if they're not you know um yeah. well with, with the language how how do you manage to sort of form a connection with them yeah so like um maybe about 10 years ago so like, before i was in finland and i ran it wasn't just in finland actually i did it in uk and estonia and other places i ran rap workshops where they were like uh refugee and asylum seeker participants and they were running raps in like multiple different languages uh, and they were doing it by syllables like it doesn't matter what language you speak every language has a beat in the word and uh, i love that idea because that's what's great about rap it, it's not about like necessarily what they're saying it's just the rhythm that they're putting words together and placing them together that makes it so um uh, it's it's a truth that uh, brings us all together 
But now when I'm doing a lot of the uh, refugee asylum seeker workshops with poetry, now a lot of young people here, they want to learn English. So I'm really into creating structure and uh, workshop plans that allow people to say how they feel, but um, use as simple words as they can. A lot of that is about doing group poems, like which I'm really into, which each person comes up with two lines and then you stick the whole thing together. And uh, sometimes giving voice to a group through poetry. I mean, I think it's really important, but I guess I would say that. So I'm into it. I second that. I think it is important too. Um, <laughs> but in terms of um, poetry, so I know you do your po podcasts as well and you do two of them. One is with poetry. Why but Why is it called um, Argy's Poetry Pickle Jar? Why Pickle Jar? We pickle the poems you love. So each uh -huh. week we got a poet coming in and then they give us a poem and then we basically look at that poem in detail. But right. thanks for the plug. I appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. No worries. You can check it out on Spotify. Um, yeah. But yeah, and you have another one, which is called Working with Migrants, right? Yeah. Um, so obviously you are also a content creator um, now. And, you know, there's so much content coming out now um, I, because everybody access has access to a mic and Zoom and a camera. Um and the pandemic has enabled so many of us to just start something. Um, how have you found sort of staying relevant and, and kind of gaining a following for your content and, and reaching people? I find it really difficult, really. Um, I'm a creative into the process of making. And um, I actually think I've made a lot of good stuff that nobody has seen or heard because I am just into the creation side. Like even with the podcast, I love putting it together, like the different segments, like the beds, all of that sort of stuff, I love it. Um, but when it goes out there, I mean, I don't do that much. People message and they wanna get involved or sometimes I've, like I keep up to date on my Twitter, but I'm really bad at Insta. I just pick one that I like and then I go with it. But most of the following that I've got is because the content, I put a lot of time into content, like I'm into it. So I think people, I, I thought the small following that I do have, I think it's due to the quality of the work that I am able to bring out. I mean, I've kept up with a mailing list and that's been really good because you know, you don't need a lot of a big following. You just need a following that's willing to part with money. Just a hundred people buying one item mm. will make you able to survive in this industry. Right. So it's not about necessarily a million people who don't want to spend money. It's just a hundred people. When people start breaking it down like that, it's much easier to see yourself and visualize, oh, how can I make a living from this in the future? So... Obviously, I know you spoke about um, being into music and you started off doing that and there was a little um, track, if that's relevant, um, um, on your website, welcoming people. Um, yeah, what do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was cute. Like, <laughs> good, um, good. Yeah, unusual, but good. Um, yeah. So basically, I music and rap, culture and all of that is much um 
much more sort of accessible, if, if that's a word, or much yeah. more prevalent. But poetry, as soon as you think about poetry, I think people are sort of afraid um, to be at sort of spoken word um, gatherings because it can be really intimate, even for the mm. even for the listener, it can be very sort of intimate. And yeah, I agree. And or you sort of go down the path of like, oh, it's English GCSE literature, you know, like you're analysing this poem and you have to give a lot of thought and analysis to it. So I wanted to ask, how have you found it sort of navigating that space, you know, of, of breaking those notions that people have and um, establishing yourself now as a proper poet, poet more than a musician for say? Yeah, it's been difficult, actually. And I found... I didn't fit that well into hip hop because I wasn't really that cool in that hip hop scene. I was not like, I just didn't really fit it. And then when I used to go to poetry nights, I felt really out of place. Mm. So I totally hear like people being out of place. I think there's an idea that, um, yeah, you go to school, then like you, someone shows you a poem and then they don't even move on. Like if you don't like the poem, you just have to sit and analyze it. Whereas if you're in a book and you're reading a book of poems, so you just be like, that one's whack, turn over and go to the next one. Mm. So there's a need that we have an obsession with analysing text, which is taught to us from school, where instead of just being like, oh, I, did you like that? Yeah, I like it. Well, what did you like about it? And then you could talk about it. Um, we've broken it down into a place where people are like, how many similes are there? How many metaphors are there? Oh, it must be a good poem. That is that is so rubbish, actually, because really you it's about how the words come together. Sometimes your mum could write a shopping list and that could be something that's really moving to you. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, like poetry is all around. It's in the market square, the way people talk to each other. And so I think moving into the space where now I can say to people like, yeah, I write poems, I'm a poet, um, has meant that... <laughs> I want to be part of the people talking and writing about poems to change the narrative of what people think about poems. And that's one of the reasons why I started that podcast, because um, I wanted the pickle jar to be a place where there's no bravado, you know, there's no pretense where people are like, oh, let's talk about that in a really like dull way. It's more like talking about the football in the pub or talking about a tune you heard last week. Yeah, um, and it and it has this notion of also being very academic, you know, that yeah. it's for the intelligent, and you know, it's it's that sort of thing. People yeah. often say like, "Oh, it, um, I wrote this, but it doesn't really sound like a poem." It's like, what does that mean? Like, what when does something sound like a poem? Because I honestly do think there's such there's such beauty in the way we talk whether it be like an accent or the way we put sentences together, like especially within the Asian community, the way our mums talked or our dads talked or my gran, like, or um, some of the people in Sri Lanka, they use like present tense all the time. Like I go shop, um, I um, buy a packet of biscuits and that keeping in presence is so interesting. Like, I love that. That should be in work. But instead, people are, think of Keats and Yeats and sonnets and, yeah. Largely white poets. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. And I think that's what we've been taught in school as well. Well, I never studied anyone 
remotely non-white as a poet in in English English GCSE, you know. Um, mm. So I thought that that was poetry, and you know, um, I thought sort of exploring poetry from South Asian diaspora was so it came so so much later on do you know what I mean like I, when I was growing up it didn't it just didn't seem important to me I was like that's not poetry so I think uh, there isn't representation at a school level and that's a problem because uh, younger poets who have the potential to be the voice for the next generation perhaps don't get the opportunity there's people like Daljit Nagro who is now uh, much more mainstream but the other problem is, is that um, I go into schools sometimes with Daljit poems because I like his work. And I'll be like, hey, everyone, here's a Daljit poem. And everyone's just like, oh. And then I'll be like, why didn't you like Daljit Nagra? And they're all like, oh, because he's on the syllabus and we have to study him. So basically, young people associate boring poetry with poetry that's taught in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So the suggestion is the way that we taught teach poetry is archaic and really, really dull. So right. it's about changing our view of teaching poetry in the classroom. Would you like to, um, you know, read out a bit of your poem or something that you want to share with us before you let we let you go? Let me um, find something. Sure. Because I think you'll like it because it brings in Asian without it being too much. I wrote some poems over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is called ways of saying i love you my family is a garland untied along the pavement each member a flower shaking as though a bird just landed and flew away but it isn't a bird it is my uncle in a hearse no one saw him but they say he passed how do you say i'm sorry without a hand on a shoulder how does Appa say I love you without a cross on a forehead? We are items in lost property, mulling in what nows. I want to tell my mum how much I think about her, but talk about my poems and the weather. As we leave, she hands me a bag of Tupperware, warns me to keep it upright. It sits in the back seat, belted up, sobbing curry all the way home. A scent clings to my suit like wishing I had said something. My girlfriend asked me why I'm quiet, but I cannot find myself. Like I couldn't find the words, so I roll all the windows up, breathe in, let the aroma fill my lungs like the Tupperware fills every tray in my fridge, even after we've eaten most of it. I want to ring my mum to tell her how much I love her, but settle for texting. The mutton rolls were banging up. She tells me to store some in the freezer for another day. They sit there all year. I don't have the courage to eat them. Right, and you can find the full interview of that on our YouTube in the next few days. But until next week, thanks a lot for tuning into Mango Masala. We'll be back next week, 3 to 5 on Pi Radio. If you want to catch up with us on other socials, you can go Mango Masala Radio, Mango Masala MCR, depending on what you're on. But yeah, we'll see you guys next week.